Welcome to the Hope Chapel Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. We currently are meeting again for in-person services and would love to have you join us if you feel comfortable. Our in-person service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. You can also tune into our live stream on Sundays at 9 and 11 by going to hopechapel.org forward slash live. Before I get started, you know, there's a woman who's really, really important who's not here today, and that's Julie Nazarian. And um, we just love her so much. And I, I watched this thing develop. You know, I don't know if you know that while he was away going to seminary, he started a church in his house before he came here. But it was him and her. And it's always been the two of them. And I just, you know, sometimes we, we overlook the power behind the throne. And so I wanted to um, give the boss lady a chance to greet you this morning. Here she is. Karina came up and gave me this beautiful purple lay. And I, as you can tell, I'm very colorful today. So as I told her, that's my flip side, which means Filipino side uh, of, of things. But I... Uh, didn't know my Filipino father, and then I was raised with Mexican, which really father, cool. which really means I'm very colorful. So uh, you can't miss me. But I was thinking as uh, your ancestor, and then I thought, wait, is that the right word? Do I have to be dead to be an ancestor? I don't know. I think I'm just part of this long lineage of, of people that have brought this church into being for today. And what I want to speak and and... I'm not speaking. Um, uh, yes. I'm watching a little toddler over here just dancing in the Lord. And I know there's lots of children back in children's church. And that there's junior hires, high schoolers, college-age people. And about that time, you start deciding, what am I going to be doing? And all I can tell you is to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because Matthew 28 says, go. Go and teach. And so I just want to pray a blessing because you don't have to be one of those youngsters. You can be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Well, I haven't gotten to 80 yet, but I know there's 80-year-olds out there because Leona Carrington's 85. So, and God will say, go. And you don't know where, but you say, yes, Lord. And the devil will fight you. But please say, yes, Lord, and then you'll be having one of these moments. So let me just pray quickly as your great-great-grandmother and uh, say, uh, Father God, I pray let your Holy Spirit come now, come now, Lord. Come on these people, Lord, that there's ministries in their neighborhoods, at work, wherever it is. They don't have to go across the ocean. They don't have to go off into some odd, far place. But their neighbor next door is just waiting for them to tell about you, especially in these crazy times. I just pray this blessing upon each person, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Is this on? Okay. I, I literally will, will turn it on, stand up and turn it off and start talking. I do that a lot. I, um, I want to talk to you today. I, I, the, I want to talk about the title of the message before I get into the message. It's important. Billy Collarwood was up here and he mentioned the book Let Go of the Ring. It's, by the way, in its sixth edition. And Mark Jacobs just gave me uh, 500 gigabytes of photos from the past. When we started, we were so poor, we didn't take a lot of pictures. Other people took pictures, but we couldn't. And uh, so there's going to soon be a seventh edition with more pictures in it. But um, I, I grew up in the four-square denomination. And by the time we started the church, there were 1,800 four-square churches. And they gave us a building on Manhattan Beach Boulevard, a little building, had seven parking spaces had seating for 66 people, had uh, four eight-foot-by-eight-foot Sunday school classrooms. You can't do much in eight-by-eight. Eight. Um, 
And, uh, and, and then we came here, super straight, white wall haircut in those days, you know, the whole thing, and the hippie deal was happening. And uh, first weekend, there's like 12 people, they're all my friends. We got a lady who wasn't walking with the Lord to come play the piano for us. We had a pulpit that was literally this high, I had to, I had to look over it, and then it had wings. And so it, it, it was goofy, and so there are 12 people showed up, and there's pews, and, there, and there's two rows, two sides, you know, it'd be like just these two sections. So I just went over and sat down on the platform and got everybody to sit in the first two rows, and we had Bible study. And um, church gets over in less than an hour, because I didn't talk like I do today. <laughs> and um, we're all outside, and so we started church at 10. Most churches started at 11. That was the, the hour on Sunday mornings. But we figured we're going to beach town. People want to go to beach in the afternoon. Let's start early. So we started at, at 10. At 11, um, no, that was the second Sunday. The first Sunday was just 12 people. That was just it. The second Sunday, word got out. We grew by 50%. There were 18 of us. At 11, 19 people showed up. And I just told them, I'm sorry, we're done. And one guy who ended up in the church comes to me, older guy, older, probably like 40, a really old dude. And he, and he goes, um, you know, you could at least give these people a cup of coffee and get to know them. So we started serving coffee after church. I had never, I grew up in church since 1950. I'd never, ever seen a church. There were a lot of church potlucks, stuff like that. But serving coffee after the end of a service? Never. So we're, we're weird in these ways already. We start church at the wrong time. We serve coffee. And that second week, a whole bunch of hippies and bikers and a topless dancer named Kitten showed up. <laughs> And we become, to the pastors in the community, hippity-hoppity-hope, the bake sale church. We never served a cookie, but we're the bake sale church because they didn't know enough to serve coffee. And, and, and just all these things. And that was, that was the world we lived in. But then God breathed on it. And things started happening. And a, a little while in, uh, uh, we were doing church in those days. Sunday morning was you preached. Sunday night was evangelistic service. I, I grew up in this. I grew up in the biggest church in Oregon. It was the Foursquare Church. And we had the governor come, and we had every movie star that would accept the Lord. Three weeks later would be in our church not knowing anything of the Bible and telling us. You know, it's kind of stupid. And... Um, but so that was Sunday night evangelistic service. Wednesday night was a prayer meeting. And, and so we were doing that. And, but, but it was all hippies and bikers and this stupid idiot with a suit on. <laughs> and, and as time went on, there were some people in Walteria, it's about seven miles away, going, we have a hard time coming back on, and we want to at least have Sunday night service. Could you send somebody down here and, and, and just hold church for us in a house on Sunday nights? So we sent a guy named Richard Agozino. Oh, yeah. And Rich and I were, were hanging out. At first, we didn't trust each other. He came in with a bunch of, we were all in the navigators thing, in the making disciples. And he was leading a group, and his, his members joined our church and dragged him in. Well, then we became friends, and we started going to Palos Verdes. And um, we, we'd walk around the golf course, because we didn't have any money. Every, every Monday morning, about 5.30, we'd go and just walk around the golf course and pray and talk. And we knew we were on holy ground because that was very near where Dawson Trotman started the Navigators and all that ministry. And so um, these people came and said, can somebody come and hold church on Sunday night? We sent Richard because he lived down there. About two months in, on a Monday morning, Richard goes, well, they want to become their own church. They want to call it Branch of Hope. And I go, you can't do that. I go, for one... The Foursquare has a bylaw. You can only have one Foursquare church in one town, and Walteria is part of Torrance. You know what that really means is? There's 120,000 people in Torrance and 400 of them in a Foursquare church, and the rest of them can go to hell. Yeah. That's right. I mean, that, that logic is there, you think about it. The second thing was you had to call it 
by the city name Foursquare Church. You couldn't call it a slogan name. And we we're already doing that. We we're already in trouble. And now, you know, he's worse. And then he wanted to call it Branch of Hope. And it's like, I don't want people thinking we're doing a denomination. We're not into that. And so you can't use that name. And then he never went to a Bible college or a seminary. And that was up. And so I just told him no. And a few weeks later, I, I ran into this friend of mine who, I, I, I'm the oldest in my family. I've always looked to somebody as my older brother. And currently, he's sitting right over there. His name is Mike Fay. And that's been going on for a long time. But before that, it was this guy named Roy Hicks Jr. And first, first person of my age that I ever met who was as serious about Jesus as I was and, and was cool. And, and, and Roy gets a hold of me and says, it's, get, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. So I went back to Rich and said, go for it, man. And then I go to the denomination, and we didn't have Billy Collarwood as a supervisor. We had a guy who was a card-carrying Pharisee. He would make people sign statements. This is an area when churches begin to not do Sunday night services. You had to sign your life away that you would always do a Sunday night service. He was into that. So I go home and I go, oh, Dr. such and such, I, because um, everybody was a doctor in those days. I go, um, you know, um, we, we did something. What'd you do? Well, it's a good thing, but, but we, we broke some bylaws. Well, what did you do? Well, I mean, we didn't mean to cause trouble. What did you do? And I kept, I kept this up for like four or five minutes. And then I told him what we did. And he goes, well, you know my daughter? And I go, yeah. He goes, she's 20 years old. I'm hoping she gets married. I can't tell her who to get married to. I hope she gives me grandchildren. I can't tell her when to have grandchildren or where to have them. And I can't tell her what to name them. You guys just gave birth, and that's a good thing. And that set in motion the title of this. And by the way, if you want to know more about this, just look for myname.net on the internet, because I got a lot of stuff up there. I, I, I make a podcast, I write a blog, I'll kind of jump. But the title is Hope Chapel Churches, not Hope Chapel Hermosa Beach. Hope Chapel Churches, 50 years and counting. Because I, I heard Michael Nazarian on that video talk about the next 50 years. I heard Alan talking about the next 50 years today. So it's 50 years and counting. But it's not Hope Chapel Hermosa Beach. It's Hope Chapel Churches. And let me tell you a little bit about Hope Chapel Churches. Because by the time I left this place, I was the 30th person that we had sent out the door to go plant a church from the church that I had started. And, and, and today, the story, it, it, it looks like this. There's a, a guy who I hope is sitting in the audience. If not, he'll be at the next service named Bill Gross. And I was up here preaching one night, and he was standing at the back door with two friends. And, 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 and it was young and cocky. And... And, and, and they're sitting there, and I know they're making fun of what I'm saying. And um, I've been known to take people on in an audience like that. But I waited, and as I walked out the, the door, the Holy Spirit came over me. And I just turned, and I pointed my finger right in his face. And I go, if you weren't such a smart aleck, although that's probably not the word I used, God could use you to do something really strong. And I walked away. And I never heard this story. I, 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 I went and preached for Bill. I did a whole lot of things with Bill. But it was 30 years later that he said, when you did that to me, that's what broke the ice. And then he ends up working with you, leading worship. And then you left, and he ended up leading the worship. And then the church sends him out to start a church in Torrance. And then they send him out to go to North Carolina, start church in Cary, North Carolina. And then he starts sending people out. And as of a, like a week ago, I found out that there's, I used to think there's 175 churches in Africa because of Hope Chapel, Cary, North Carolina. There's over 400 of them. And they're all over Latin America. And I had no idea. 
And I, I work for this group called Exponential. I work with them, for them, part-time. And when we came up, the same thing that was happening in the rest of, the thing that was happening in the rest of the church world was bigger is better. And this whole um, supersizing the church, uh, the Walmartizing of the church, the whole, what we call the seeker-driven movement, we, we, we tailor our message to those people rather than tailor it to this book. And it watered down the church. And during the time that these huge churches were getting huge, Christianity was shrinking in America. The numbers are way down in the last four decades. So we're paddling upstream all of our life. In our denomination, outside of our denomination, I hook up with this group called Exponential. They've been looking for 10 churches that were a local congregation turned into a movement of churches. And they, and they couldn't find 10. And, and they bumped into Southern Baptists, who had already done this like years before, and they had found, and they had actually written a book about one church that turned into a movement of churches, and you're sitting in it. And so they connected with me. At first we didn't get along, but now we do. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, it, it's given you folks, this is what I want to say, and all of those other Hope Chapel churches out there around the world, it's given you a voice to speak. And basically this message, we need to get back to this book. And, and how we do church is about this book. And I'm straying away from my notes and I tend to do this. So I'll, I'll do the sermon really quick at the end. But <laughs> when I was in college, I was a punk and we had a professor who actually had come on to one of the girls. And we tried to go to the administration and they just did this and that wasn't good. And uh, he was pastoring some little church in Glendale, California. And he was teaching in the school. And one day he gets up and he's kind of a pompous guy. And he tells us that under no circumstances should you ever ask anyone to leave a church. Well, Paul gives eight good reasons in 1 Corinthians. And you're stupid. And I'm 19 years old, and I know that. And so I make this thing. I'm going to go home and read the book of Acts, go to the dorm or wherever, and read the book of Acts every day, the whole thing, for my whole second year of college. Now, it's about a month in, so I didn't make the whole year. And, I, and, and at a minimum, I would read it five times, the whole thing. It takes like 35 minutes. And I take notes. And I'm going to show you guys how to build a big church. Because that's what you see in Acts chapter 2, right? Big church overnight. And then I got confused. And the more I read it, the worse it got. Because it starts big and then it dribbles. And what's that all about? And then as I, as I kept reading it and reading it and reading it, I realized this is a church in immaturity in Acts chapter 2. It's mature by the time we get to Acts chapter 14, where, where Paul gets stoned and left for dead. And when it says left for dead, they actually thought they killed him, by the way. And then the disciples gathered around him. It doesn't say they prayed, but they must have, because he revived. And then they sneak back into all the places that they went, and they point elders from among their disciples and they turned them over to the Holy Spirit in whom they'd put their trust. No seminary, no hierarchy, no email, no reports. They can write letters, which is a high-tech deal. A lot of people didn't do that in their whole life in those days. They can write letters that take about five, six months to get there and about five, six months to get the return. They didn't have Zoom. And these guys were carpenters or leather workers or butchers or whatever the heck they were, they weren't paid. They're in some scruffy little village. The government hates them. It's all underground. And so I, 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 I begin to realize the, what, what, because, because God put his foot on what was going on in Jerusalem, Jesus had said what we're going to talk about in the sermon, go, and they stayed. And so Nine years after Jesus uttered those words, you hit Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where because Saul of Tarsus is breathing threats against the church, all except the apostles who Jesus told to go, 
they courageously stayed in Jerusalem in disobedience to Jesus. And all of the rest of them took off. And everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel that got them in trouble. And some of them went to Antioch and started a church among Jews only. It says in Acts 11, however, some preach the gospel to Gentiles also. The guys in Jerusalem freak out. Send a guy named Barnabas, who's a Jew who grew up in a Gentile community. Go find out if this is okay. He sends the word back, A-okay. And then the rest goes on from there. So here's what you see, is the church starts out in immature disobedience to Jesus. Full of the Holy Spirit, loving God, and not going anywhere. And then the Lord forces them to go. And then the church begins to come into maturity. And when it starts out, it's all about addition. It's just getting bigger and bigger. You look at the first five chapters of Acts. It just keeps getting bigger in Jerusalem Judea. But when, when, when you get to the end of the book, it's multiplied. It moved from addition to multiplication. And, and it's, it's spreading everywhere. And if that hadn't happened, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. I, I pretty well could say if Acts chapter 8 verse 1 hadn't happened, we wouldn't even know each other. It's, it's there. So this is about Hope Chapel churches. I told you the story of Bill Gross. This is a guy who's not in Hope Chapel. He's actually in another denomination. Uh, he's, he's like one of my spiritual sons. His name is Myron Pierce. Got out of jail in 2002 after eight years, 27 years old. Uh, started planting churches and planting businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur. He lives in Omaha, North, North Omaha, Nebraska, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the whole United States for an African-American man because people are killing each other so fast. Pastors like 300 people. Uh, they, by, by the time I met him, they've planted eight churches or so. And uh, we start Zooming all the time and I'm kind of discipling him. And, and he has this deal that, that we live in a place where people live on welfare. They need a good example. You, you need a job or, or a business. If you don't have a business or a job, we'll teach you how to start a business. So they do things like we, we go in and, and pressure wash the floors of automotive garages in the middle of the night and, you know, to teach guys how to raise money. And, and, and then COVID hit. And one of his businesses, the first business he started is a Facebook marketing business. And Myron says, I absolutely did not know what to do when COVID hit. Uh, I, I was in the lockdown. I didn't know what to do in the lockdown. And I went to my staff and they said, we're just going to do what you do. And he said, that actually confused me, what I do. You make disciples and you run this Facebook deal. We're going to link the two together. So then they started realizing they could they could zero in on a zip code and start running ads on Facebook, get people to watch Myron thing on Sunday. And then he'll, he'll start to interact with them on Zoom. He figures out which one person to disciple to become the pastor. And they start a church on the ground in that zip code. And so by six months into Zoom, you know, after when, when, when COVID hit and everybody went Zoom, church attendance went to the moon and then dropped right back to below what it was before we started. Well, Myron popped from 300 people to 6,000 people. But then here's the good news. They shrank back to 2,500. And the churches that they planted are all over the Middle West, all in very poor urban communities. And they're in Chicago, and they're now in New Jersey, and they're in Harare, Zimbabwe, and they're in Kampala, Uganda, which is the native land of Allen. I mean, good night. I get a call from Myron one day, and he goes, Jesus wants me to start a church in, in, in London. Where were we in London? Because he'd come there with me on a trip, and... I go, I don't know, but I'd found the rail map the night before. I just found it in junk. I was cleaning out. And he goes, I got lost in London. I was at the, at the south end of London at the end of a train line, and the town begins with a B. What's that town? Because I met a guy there. And so I get my map out. There's only one town. It's called Brixton. So today, there's, there's, a, there's a, this is Mission Church in Brixton, London. Is that cool? That's how this works. Okay. I, I, got, I got names here. I, I, I talked about Bill. I could talk about uh, Ryan Delameter, who's, who's getting ready to start church in Indonesia. But they started five churches in Southern California beach towns like um, 
they're, they're in, in Costa Mesa, they're in Laguna Beach, they're in Dana Point, they're in San Clemente, they're in San Diego. And they start them in coffee shops, you gotta have a job. And most privately owned, not Starbucks coffee shops, close around 5.30 in the afternoon. So they just have Sunday morning church on a weeknight. And you gotta have a job, so there's no money involved. And they're reaching all kind of young surf kids. Real crazy. Oh yeah, and a few rich attorneys along the way. Um, there's Aryan Bolt in Mongolia, who has now gone into Korea and Inner Mongolia, which is in China, and, and, and we sparked that. There's Sereka, who actually comes from a church planting church in Sri Lanka that I hooked up with 25, 29 years ago. And there's actually more, there, there's 2,000 people in that church. They have 2,100 churches in Southeast Asia uh, in South Asia from that one congregation, Sereka moved to London to take an IT job and, and, and we connected and you know, he's from that church so he started a church in his house. Next thing you know, there's 45 of them. That's when I started showing up. Now COVID hit and they exploded with growth. This is going on over and over and over around the world. And so I just wanna take you through some scriptures really quickly. And I hope you have a Bible because I really like it when people have a Bible when I talk. And it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. And I'm reading all of this from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then it goes on and says that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're one with each other. They're in unity. And each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. I like to read that this way. I planted, Zach watered, but God gave the increase. And neither Ralph or Zach are anything, but God who gives the increase. And one day those two guys will get their reward. And instead of saying Zach, I could say Aaron Suzuki. I could say John Honnold. I could say Guy Capelliella. I could say Arian Bolt. I could say BJ Mongol. I, you know, it, it's, it, this is a God thing. But here's the deal. When I was a pastor of this church, I stupidly believed that God put a special calling on Hope Chapel, Hermosa Beach to plant churches. And that is a lie. God put a calling on all churches to plant churches. That is a truth. It's in here. You, if you read it closely, it's here. And, 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 and here's what we know, because of exponential, because this nuclear engineer quit designing nuclear submarines and decided to do something for Jesus uh, 11 years ago. 4% of churches in America had ever planted a church. You guys have planted a string that's over 2,600 of them. But only four churches, 4% 4 had ever planted, and half of them were church splits. Because of this group exponential, talking about what I'm talking about, today, 7% can proudly say we planted a church with intent. We plant church. We do what Billy Calderwood talked about today. That's that's not. It makes you special because you obeyed. It doesn't make you special because there's a special assignment. It makes the future fifty years special if you obey. Not because God gave you a special assignment. Am I getting anywhere? Yeah. And so the, the next scripture I want you to look at is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first uh, few verses, first three verses. And I call this part from friendship to the ends of the earth because it works through friendship. It doesn't work through a program. It doesn't work through schooling. It works through relationships. Jesus made disciples. He didn't run a school. Paul made disciples. Most important phrase, I think, in the book of Acts is the words Paul and. Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and, you know, it, it's 
Are, are, we, are we making disciples? But see, that's not a pastor thing. That's a Christian thing. Are you making disciples? Well, how do you make a disciple? Well, you buddy up to somebody. Somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And then you let them know you're a Christian and you don't preach at them. And then when they start whining about something, you say something like, well, you know, I pray every night because I believe in Jesus. Could I have your permission to pray for you tonight? Nobody says no to that ever. And once they say yes to it, no matter if they say that I don't believe in God, whatever, they just start looking up. You're going to do it or not. <laughs> and now he's got them. It takes time. But that's disciple making. And then after that, what do you do? Well, you get together and you hang out and you read the Bible. You know, you read the chapter. I'll read the chapter. We'll, we'll, we'll go on Internet and search out words we don't understand. And we'll get together. And I want to hear I want to hear what you had to say about it. I don't have to preach at you. I want to hear what you learned. Works really easy these days. Wikipedia is a super tool. It's very accurate when it gets to biblical stuff. It's amazing. Because a lot of Christian guys are inputting that. I use that very well. But here's what it says in 2 Timothy. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. There's four generations there. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's faithful men, and there's those people that they teach. So I could read this this way. You, therefore, Zach, my son. Ah. <laughs> the weirdness that goes on of he thinks I mentored him and I think he's smarter than me is unbelievable. Uh, it's just like we, we both kind of, you know, I just, I just love this man to pieces. I am so proud of you because of him. It's amazing to me what he's done. But then he'll sit around and say, well, you know, Ralph mentored me and tell you all these things I remember from Ralph. And it's like. <laughs> but here's the deal. If Timothy, I've been to Ephesus where Timothy led over 200 micro churches, not mini churches, but autonomous churches. And because Timothy was faithful there's no churches in Ephesus today. It's Turkey. It's Muslim. But because Timothy was faithful, the gospel kept on going because Zach was faithful to teach faithful men who were able to teach others also. The gospel has gone around the world from this place. That's why this is not called Hope Chapel 50 years and counting. It's called Hope Chapel Churches 50 years and counting. And a whole lot of it, and I'm going to keep doing this, it has to do with that individual over there. And the next 50 years have to do with whoever he's saying this to. And we go from there. I have no idea of the time. Am I okay? Got 10 minutes? Good. You know, the first time that he preached after we made the big announcement, hour and 45 minutes in every single service. And you may not know this, but he got the name Long Plenizarian out of that. And so I got 10 more minutes at least. So it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 to 20, some really important things. And you really need to know this. Because one of the problems that we have with the so-called Great Commission is that it's, it's not complete. Whenever people quote it, they don't complete it. They don't give you the whole reference. Because it doesn't start in verse 18. That's always it. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. It starts in verse 17. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Well, actually, it starts in verse 16. It's talking about the 11. You know, Judas did his deal. The 11. They ate with him. Thomas poked his finger in the hole in his side. And some doubted. Do any of you doubt from time to time? I do. 
church I'm involved in right now is meets on Saturday afternoons on Zoom. We're all over the country. And one of the things that's happening is my faith is being reinforced by my friend Mike Fay, who taught here for years a, a, a thing about astronomy and, and how it relates, what we're learning about the universe reinforces these passages of scripture to me. Genesis 1, John 1, and Romans 1. In the beginning, God. You know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He spoke it into being. The heavens declare the glory of God, Romans. You know, and, and I've always been, well, ever since he turned me on to astronomy, been searching for answers that, because if I can't believe those three chapters in the Bible, I, I can't believe any of it. But I, there's times that I have doubts about what I believe. I, I think we all do. What I think is really important is that Jesus is telling doubting people to go out and take the gospel to the whole rest of the world. So there's room for us. Amen. That's cool. And then it says, he came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me. In other words, this is not come to church and see the show. This is not, oh, if you open your heart and let Jesus into your heart. This is the God of the universe saying, get with it, stupid people. <laughs> and, and, and then he says, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go. But if you read it in the original language, he says, as you go. He doesn't say go. As soon as you hear the word go and make disciples, you think of some missionary going to some other country. That's not what he's saying at all. Because it says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And there's two words there we don't understand. And they, they don't come across right in our English Bibles. And they don't come across right in most sermons. The first one is the word go, which is literally as you go. In other words, where you go as you go. Where are you going tomorrow? Because that's what it's talking about. Where will you be on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock? It's talking about that. And then he says... Make disciples. He doesn't say make converts. He doesn't say make Christians. He says, doesn't say make churchgoers. You know, we, we invented this. I didn't. Somebody else did. This odd term called unchurched people. And so in America, for the last 40 or so years, the whole deal was to reach unchurched people. Well, what's the goal? We'll get them in church. It's not to make a disciple. It's to get an unchurched person into a church. So the church can get big and the pastor can get famous. Uh, something's wrong with that one. So he goes on and he says, make, make disciples of all the nations. And the word there is ethne. And it doesn't mean what most of us think it means. My wife is half Filipino, half Welsh, half Norwegian, and half <laughs> East Asian. I am Irish. And she says, I have the gift of Blarney. So <laughs> it doesn't mean that. It means people groups. You know, who surfs Manhattan versus who surfs Hermosa? Who are the big wave riders in Hawaii? Who are the skaters? Who are the people that used to live in 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 Lawndale, but real estate's gotten too expensive and they've had to move inland. You know, who are the people in Austin, Texas that Jimmy Calhoun ministers to who we would call disabled? Here's Jimmy. Played with Jimi Hendrix. Played with John Lennon. He's talking to me one day and he says, yeah, we're at this comedy club in L.A. and, and, and Michael wanted to go there and I told Michael this and Michael that and so we're both friends with Mike Faye and I go, what do you mean Michael? And he goes, oh, Mick. And I go, I don't know, Mick who? Because I'm thinking of our little Saturday afternoon church. And he goes, oh, Mick Jagger. I took him to this comedy club and, you know, it's like, Who are the leftover, aging, messed up, half brain dead rockers in the world? Because they're an ethne. They're a people group. 
When we, when we first started, it was hippies and bikers. Later on, this was a church full of carpenters and aerospace engineers, because that was going on in El Segundo at the time. Different people groups. They gotta be reached in different ways. And, and, and so here's the deal. Churches, we tend to all look like us. We all tend to look like the pastor. In fact, I was taught that in school. You're gonna reach people who look like you about 10 years younger than you or 10 years old, older than you. It's easy. So I, I worked really hard at trying to always reach 12-year-old kids my whole life. I wanna, I wanna talk so a 12-year-old kid can, can understand complicated stuff and I can make it funny if I can. Sometimes it, today it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I was decades into Kaneohe, the Hope Chapel Kaneohe, before we ever realized we're not doing anything for the older people in our church. And my gosh, were they a powerhouse. It was crazy once we started to tap into those people. But then there is the racial thing. There was the kid who started a church in a skate park next door in Kailua town for where we were at in Hawaii. There, there, there are all kinds of people groups. Today there's people, who, a, a, a tattoo parlor that they hang out in is a church without God. Because they identify around, they, you know, these identity groups are the ethne of the world. We gotta get to them. And then the last thing I want you to look at is, but I just want to talk about this. You don't even need to turn there. But Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, where it tells about the church gathered daily in the temple and, 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 and in the houses. And they, and they met for, for apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, praising God. They were giving generously to each other, and their neighbors liked them. And the Lord was adding daily to their numbers, such as be saved. I, I used, uh, this is how we built mini church was around the two scriptures I'm talking about right now is, is this, this scripture we, we decided this is the temple and we're going to do it in houses because they did it in houses and then we and I did a teaching called church architecture where we split up what works best in, in a house what works best in a temple and we, and, we, and we built off that and then about six months ago I had a realization by the time you get to Acts 5 they're all over Judea that means that some people are, they're not going to the temple once a week because it's like a 13 or 14 mile walk at least. So mostly it's homes. This is why some people who don't hate Zoom are actually able to launch Zoom churches and as they're doing it, almost every church I know that's effective has got mini churches, but they got Zoom mini churches because some people are shut in, whatever, and pretty soon, the last one I heard, some guy in Stockholm joined a Zoom church in Southern California. It's, it's crazy, it, but it's doable. But then it says in Ephesians chapter four, and this one I do wanna read, that he, Jesus, himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity in faith, which means we don't argue with other people over their doctrine. You know, when I got into exponential, I'm hooked up with every kind of doctrinal stripe you could believe. And you know what? I think what I think is right. But I'm smart enough to know that it can't all be right. And, and, but I'm not smart enough to know where it's wrong. So I just have to humble myself a little bit and go, you know what? You're wrong, but I love you. <laughs> And then it talks about that we come to the measure of the fullness of Christ, because this is not about Hope Chapel. This is not about church. This is not about the gospel. This is about the Lord of the universe and his strayed people reconciled to him. That's what this is about. It's about honoring him. But it says here that he gave some people leadership gifts to be apostles, those are, if you're an innovator and you like to plant businesses and stuff, you probably have an apostolic spiritual gift that you have worked out in a secular sense. And you need to start thinking about how can that work inside the church. It, there, there are some who are prophets. This man sitting right here and Bob Allen is the most abrasive piece of sandpaper that ever walked through these doors. <laughs> And there were people who, that guy's rebellious, he's this, he's, no, he's a prophet. That's right. 
There was a night where, wave your, your hand, the guy in the white t-shirt right here with a v-neck. Yeah, you. Wave your hand. Right there. Right there. <laughs> this guy comes up to me. He's about this tall, literally. He's got a guitar strapped over his back like Johnny Cash. Long hair, li obviously living on the road. And he comes up to me and, and goes, you know, God told me I'm supposed to take over this church and I'm going to be the pastor from now on during the greeting time. He goes back and he sits in that chair where you are. And right in front of him is this guy. And the night before, he had pulled the same stunt at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, in their concert. And Bob, in those days, didn't walk with a cane. He was into judo. He ties this guy up in a knot and marches him out the door. And then the night he stands up, this is like two weeks after John the Baptist was sitting over here and told, and told us that he, he was the father of Jesus by the Immaculate Conception. But this guy stands up to take over and Bob is in front of him. And he turns around and he's like this far from his nose and he goes, hi, remember me from last night? I think we should walk out the door together. Game over. Game over, right. There are some people who are evangelists, probably more evangelists than anybody else. When I came up as a pastor, the, the, the burden that I carried was called Billy Graham. Wonderful man, did wonderful things, but everybody thought that was evangelism. 40,000 people in a stadium. Ah, evangelism is a cup of coffee and hanging out and listen to him moan and groan and bring the Lord into it, and you probably are one. I am not. You know these people get on the airplane and win somebody to Jesus in a two-hour flight? I get on the airplane and open my book so they won't even talk to me. <laughs> and if they say hello or whatever, I go, uh, uh, uh. And then there comes pastors. And I'm not one of those either. I think Zach actually is. I think Zach's a little bit of a prophet, and a, but he's a pastor. But I am not. Take two aspirins and call me next week. You know, in our church, in, in the, the big church in Hawaii, we don't do pastoral counseling. There's none of that. You go to mini church, or we'll refer you to somebody you can go pay $135 an hour to talk to. Because mini church, there's pastors in mini church. And I don't mean the leader of the mini church. I mean the people who got the pastoral gift. And they'll hold your hand, and they'll walk through hell with you. But you want to come sit in an office and talk to somebody for 45 minutes that you don't even know? No, we're not doing that game. And then I left that church and we started a little church called Hope Honolulu in a movie theater. And we, we decided the city is our campus. Uh, and and we, we tried to get public school and they, we couldn't. They were, because you know why? Hope Chapel and New Hope and the people who learned from us had filled every single one of 650 public schools in the state with churches by the time we left. Every one. And some of them had three small churches meeting concurrently in a school. It was crazy good. It was really good. But we started Hope Chapel Honolulu. We met in the Kahala Mall movie theaters. Our baptistry is where Hunakai Street meets the ocean. Um, we, 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 have, we advertise. We have a, a $2 billion church campus. There's this hill in, in Kakaoko Park where we hold worship nights. Um, there are all these houses and apartments. We got real estate running out our ears. We just don't have to pay for any of it. But here's what we don't have is a phone. Because if we have a phone, we actually rented a little space that we could use for training meetings in the middle of the week. But we're not putting a reception in there to answer the phone and get a paycheck because that money's going to Africa. And so we brag. You know what? There's no, no, no church phone. And, and so here's how you know if you're a member of the church. If you know somebody who knows my phone number, you're probably a member of the church. If you don't, you're a spectator and you're welcome here. Just be sure you put money in the bucket on the way out the door. Because at some point, you've got to separate the adults from the children. You've got to separate the sheep from the goats. Are you one of us? Are you doing this? Or are you just coming here to watch? Are you just coming here because Zach is a really good Bible teacher? Or because Alan is just incredible with worship and, and you just want to enjoy that and then go and do your little thing? Because this has always been about.
Hope Chapel churches have always been about is be doers of the word, not hearers only. And that's what I want to leave you with. And what I really want to say is, you got 50 years ahead of you at least. And Michael said it in, in the video, we don't know what form it will be. We don't know if we'll be on this corner in 50 years. We don't know. I mean, persecution could come. We could be a bunch of underground house churches. I used to go to China a lot. I can't go near there. Last time I did a seminar in China, we did it in Tokyo. And I had a whole bunch of investment bankers who are church planters come to, to, to you know, and, and, and I bring uh, my friend from the ghetto of, of North Omaha, and he became the star of the show. It's really crazy. He's <laughs> super rich Chinese in this hotel lobby in Tokyo. And, and, and my friend Myron with all of his, because he, he, he won't conform to, now they're making me famous, I'm going to wear a suit and whatever. He looks, like it, he looks like who he is. And, you know, the studs and the tattoos and all that is going to be the way it is. Doers of the word. These people in China are endangering their lives, their livelihood. They're being doers of the word. And it never gets, when you're 80, you're not too old to make friends with the person next door. It's up to us. And I'd just like to pray, and then Zach's going to come. We're going to have communion. So if I didn't go too long. Father, I just thank you for getting to come here from time to time and see what you continue to do in this place. And Lord, we really, in the scope of things, had very little to do with all this. Um, we sowed the seeds. And Zach's been watering ever since. And you've been given the increase. And it's pretty cool what you've done. I just, I think each one of us would just say, God, thank you that I got to be part of this thing you're doing. And, uh, but God, I know my time is not up. I know when it is up, it'll be a glorious day, but it's not up yet. And, and, and Lord, help me to see what's right in front of me. Help me to see the ethne that are around me. Help me to, to, to see what's going on around me as I go, where I go, when I go. If it's to get my hair cut, it's to go to work, if it's to go out and play racquetball, I go where I go. And you said, as I go, help me to be that person. Lord, help me to be, the, the Bible tells us all to do the work of an evangelist. Help me to, to be a person who's much more open to making friends with people who look and act and think differently than me. And to introduce them to you, to be a reconciler who's been reconciled to you and be a reconciler friend, getting my friends to know my other friend, Jesus. Lord, help us to do that and, and to do it until you come for us. Lord, I pray your continued blessing. It's obvious that it's here, but I pray for more of it on this church as, as the next 50 years unfold. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.